African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning and welcome to yet another installment of African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Thank you for joining us. Remember, we want to hear your thoughts on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Channel Africa One. Also, uh, give us your thoughts via our SMS number on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Our email address is info at Channel Africa. Uh, Well, today we're going to be looking at a report that claims the authorities in Kenya have committed a range of abuses against journalists in the lead-up of the August elections in the country. Human Rights Watch, alongside Article 19 Eastern Africa, released a report titled Not Worth the Risk, Threats to Free Expression Ahead of Kenya's 2017 Election. And this report documents abuses of government officials, police, county governors, and other government uh, officials against the media. According to the report, the journalists that have experienced these abuses are those who report on sensitive issues. But before we get into this report, uh, let us uh, uh, really connect with our correspondent uh, uh, from Kenya, SABC correspondent Sarah Kimani, who has uh, been following uh, the campaigning that has started, uh, uh, I think, two days ago in, in the country. Sarah, thank you for giving us your time. Thank you very much for having me, Benjamin. Tell us a little bit about the campaign. It's just started two day, days ago. How is the atmosphere in the country? Well, uh, the atmosphere is still uh, not very charged. If you compare election and previous elections, probably because uh, the campaigns have just started, and so uh, politicians are still angling and preparing themselves. What we know now is that uh, they have... Uh, just selected their campaign teams, and probably by this weekend, then they will hit the ground running. And so in terms of what has happened so far, I know that there is a plan in terms of a 70-day of campaigning uh, before the August elections. Do we have any plans? Do we know the, the, the road path uh, leading to the elections? Sarah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Um, Basically, I was I was asking you, Sarah, the fact that we know that the campaign has begun with seventy days to uh, the August elections. Do we know what the road path is from here and what we can expect in terms of the campaigning process? Yes, uh, President Kenyatta, who is uh, vying for his second and final term, has spent uh, the last two days at the coast of Kenya, uh, where that is one of the. Oh, we lost our connection there with Sarah Kiman. We'll see if we can get her back. She was giving us uh, the plans of uh, the election as she was highlighting there that Kenyanta is also seeking another term in this particular election. But we also know that that the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission in the country has cleared seven candidates and has rejected three because of logistical issues. And also we know that uh, Deputy President William 
Ruto said he and the president would make a re-election bid. You're listening to Channel Africa uh, right here on African Dialogue. We'll see if we can get back to Sarah Kimani and see if we can get more details on these elections. They are very much contested. We know that uh, uh, Kenya is very much of uh, a very hot spot when it comes to the issue of post-election violence. We know when we look back at what haunts the country, the 2007 uh, presidential election won by Mwai Kibaki, whereby uh, after those elections, there were more than 1,100 people and f- uh, who were actually uh, killed at that particular environment. And also there were top parties who were in a power-sharing government. Sarah, I, I'm sorry that we disconnected there, but you were giving us uh, just uh, uh, the what we can expect from the elections. Yes, the President Kenyatta uh, has, for the last two days, been at the coast of Kenya, one of the strongholds of the opposition. He's launching the Standard Gauge Railway Line, one of the most expensive and biggest uh, projects uh, in the East African region. And he will be using that uh, to show his uh, development record because it started during his uh, uh, first time in office. Uh, we know then that uh, his opponent, uh, Prime Minister Raila Odinga, will be in central Kenya, which is also one of the strongholds uh, of the uh, ruling party. We expect that they will be switching. At any given time, you will not find them uh, in the same area because that is one of the rules of the Electoral Commission uh, to prevent conflict between uh, the two sides uh, of, the opposite, of, the, of, the, of the political divide. Mm. And, and in terms of that particular contestation, we know some. We know that the 2007 uh, situation of uh, those post-violence, uh, post-election violence, where more than 1,100 people were killed, is still something that haunts the country. Has there been conversations around that? Is it uh, murking the reputation of uh, uh, the main contesting leaders in, in, in this election? Yes, in fact, uh, uh, several non-governmental organizations and uh, election observation missions have warned that the country still uh, is at the risk of violence. However, uh, both President Kenyatta and uh, uh, former Prime Minister Raila Odinga, who are the main candidates, have pledged uh, that they will observe peace during the campaign, during the elections, and after the results are announced. Uh, yesterday, uh, former Prime Minister Raila Odinga, who is a joint opposition candidate, was having a meeting uh, with foreign journalists here in Nairobi, and he told them that uh, he will accept the verdict of the people, and he said that uh, there is no likelihood of violence. However, he was quick to say that sometimes uh, violence comes as a result of injustice, and he gave the example of 2013, mm-hmm. where he says he was robbed of uh, the elect- 20, 2007, where he says he was robbed of uh, his victory, and that is the reason why there was a conflict. However, um, President Kenyatta, on the other hand, saying uh, that the country uh, will be well uh, secure and that they will ensure that um, there will be no uh, events of violence after the, the elections. Mm. And and finally, just coming back to that issue of that train, is it not an unfair advantage for Uhuru Kenyatta to use that as a a form of uh, campaigning method? Has there been complaints on that front? 
Fela, it, indeed it is that there have been complaints because the project was conceived uh, during the Grand Coalition government uh, led by President Kibaki, uh, retired President Kibaki, uh, who had uh, Raila Odinga as a prime minister. In fact, uh, Odinga has tried to uh, say on several occasions that that is a brainchild of the Grand Coalition government. However, uh, the fact that uh, it was conceived then, but uh, Kenyatta has made it uh, into reality, then he gets the unfair advantage of having to say, look, we did this and we can do much more. In fact, uh, he is right now riding on the passenger train, which was launched uh, just a few hours ago, and uh, he will be making several stops along the way to uh, seek for votes. Of course, people will be able to see him come off the train, and they will say that maybe he can perform. However, uh, it's not just the issues of infrastructure that people will be looking at. Uh, just to briefly tell you uh, the issues of the high cost of living in the country. A lot of people complaining that the government has been unable to bring uh, the cost of living down. They're also talking about insecurity. They're also talking about high levels of corruption and quoting uh, a press conference that President Inata held at State House here in Nairobi saying that uh, asking Kenyans what to do. I've done my best uh, to uh, rein in corruption, but almost uh, seeming how Plessard has been unable uh, to contain corruption, especially in his government. So those are some of the things that the opposition will be trying to ride on to see if they can uh, win uh, the undecided minds. Yesterday, an opinion poll put uh, President Kenyatta ahead uh, of uh, former Prime Minister Raila Odinga. They said that Kenyatta uh, is expected to, if an election was held today, Kenyatta would uh, garner 47% of the votes uh, cast, while Odinga would uh, garner about 42%. So very close as we speak. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, I'm going to let you go there, Sarah. But before I do, how's the media environment here? We're going to be speaking about a new report that's been released by the HRW in terms of it seems like uh, they claim the fact that there has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, a range of abuses against journalists, uh, journalists in the lead up of the August elections. Yes, there has been intimidation of journalists. Uh, we have seen uh, the government itself uh, publishing its own uh, pullout, which they carry on their, all their advertisements. And so uh, that has also uh, made the local media, the mainstream media and the traditional media to fear that the government could pull the plug on one of the main sources of revenue for the traditional media. It decides not to advertise with them. And so there's that fear that they could lose that money. Uh, but we've also seen a lot of arrests of both uh, the traditional media journalists uh, who are believed to report anything against the government and also bloggers, uh, people who are on Twitter, people who are on Facebook. So all those have happened in the last few uh, months uh, bringing fears that the, the government may actually clamp on the media. The government, however, says it has provided the media the environment that it needs to do its work. Well, thank you so much, Sarah Kimani. That is our SABC correspondent joining us there in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back to this report that we're going to be talking about titled Not Worth the Risk, Threats to Free Expression Ahead of Kenya's 2017 Elections. We've got on the line Otsieno Namaya and we've also got Jovia Rantau, who is the chairperson of the African Editors for Namoya is the Human Rights Watch researcher. Let's take a quick break and then we'll continue to focus on the issues in Kenya. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge 
and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Dana in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, The African Perspective. Thank you for joining us. Well, uh, we're going to look at this report titled Not Worth the Risk, Threats to Freedom of Expression Ahead of Kenya's 2017 Elections. We joined uh, uh, from Kenya itself by Otsiano Namwaya, who is a human rights watcher, researcher in the country there. Uh, Now, tell us a little bit, Otsiano, in terms of this report. We got a bit of a context of what's happening in the country in terms of the elections right now but uh, there are a lot of claims in terms of examples of abuses against journalists in this report can you give us a, a few examples Otsieno are you there with me Yes, I'm here. I, I didn't get the question. Well, the question was basically looking at the fact that uh, you highlight the fact that there are authorities in Kenya that have committed a range of abuses against journalists in the lead-up of the August elections in, in the country. Can you give us some examples? Yes. Um, in our report, we found that... Um, hello, can you get me? I can hear you very clearly. You can continue, you know? Okay, in our report we found that uh, over the past five years um, and also in the lead up to the elections we have seen uh, journalists being subjected to a range of abuses uh, which include um, physical attacks, uh, threats, um, uh, sometimes death threats, uh, in some cases um, uh, people being uh, monitored physically or uh, online surveillance or, or phone surveillance. Uh, and the media houses themselves have also uh, faced um, uh, pressure from the state, including the usage of government advertising to try and control the media uh, uh, and make the media to turn down. But uh, you, it, it, the other thing to remember is that uh, as soon as the, the, the Kenyatta administration came to power in 2013, uh, one of the very first things the, the administration did was to quickly pass certain pieces of legislation um, that introduced new, uh, quite restrictive laws, uh, which have uh, um, been used uh, actually against journalists. But also the, the administration went back to some very old colonial laws that had not been in use for quite some time and started applying them and using them to arrest, intimidate journalists, uh, uh, and subject them to to um, arbitrary arrests and detention. And, and in terms of that law that you're talking about, can you elaborate on what it is and uh, what it entails? Yeah, uh, one of the, the laws that have been used uh, a lot against journalists was um, uh, a piece of law the Kenya Communications 
uh, Kenya Information and Communications Act of 1998, which basically um, talks about uh, misuse of a communication gadget. So when uh, uh, somebody tweets or posts something on social media yeah. uh, which is not necessarily offensive, uh, but somebody doesn't like it, uh, the person gets arrested and charged with misusing their communication gadget, which is basically their own phone. Um, the other law which has been misused is actually a law that is uh, in the penal court. Uh, the penal court, uh, a very old law of 1931, I think, that's 1931, uh, which uh, has something like um, uh, undermining the authority of a public officer. So people who have tweeted or written about the president in a manner that the state or the president does not like, have been arrested and charged with undermining the authority of the president or undermining the authority of a public office. And this has been used not just for the president, but also for other government officials, including even county officials, county governors. Uh, the, the, the other law that was even very surprising, we have seen cases where journalists and bloggers get charged for annoying a public officer. Like you write something that's not exactly an offense in law, mm. Uh, but somebody um, somebody says he was annoyed by that offense and they get arrested and charged with annoying a public officer. Well, you know, I want to touch on this a little bit more before I go to uh, Jovial in terms of uh, this uh, report positions itself in, in the context of the upcoming elections. Tell us why this report comes up now just before the elections. We, we were actually doing our pre-election environment uh, assessment, and one of the things that came out uh, came out very strongly was the the, the attacks of the threats to free expression ahead of the elections, as a factor that was going that was likely to undermine the elections, um, and uh, therefore we 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 did produce this report as a way of showing that actually in the absence of free expression the elections are unlikely to be free and fair because mm. the media and, of course, the, the citizens, including the bloggers, they did not be free to discuss some of these issues uh, freely. Uh, you remember that most of those abuses that I have mentioned uh, do not just occur. There are certain specific issues which, when, uh, when the people write about or blog about, they get attacked, and these are the key issues that are likely to... to, to to inform the, the election debate. Uh, this mm. included the land question, which you know was at the center of the 2007 post-election violence. Mm. Um, the corruption issue, which you know uh, at the moment is, a, is a, an issue of contestation between the opposition and the, the, the Kenyatta administration, uh, because most people think that um, the Kenyatta administration has actually uh, presided over massive cases of corruption mm. and have, have failed to take action against corruption within the government. So that is going to be an issue. But journalists who write about corruption or try to expose corruption uh, are, are prone to physical attacks or threats or intimidation. Mm. And then the other is, of course, security issues. Security issues, uh, especially around counter-terrorism operations. Remember that Kenya has its forces in Somalia. Mm. Uh, but the, the, the offshoot of that is that Kenya has its in Somalia, uh, it's also carrying uh, out internal operations mm. which have led to a lot of cases of disappearances and extrajudicial killings by both the police and the military. 
Now, this case is that the media, the media is not able to report on very freely, including mm. uh, even uh, simple incidents like the attack on El Ade camp in Somalia, on the KDF camp in, in Somalia. The media wasn't able to report freely on that, and up to today, I don't think the Kenyan public knows exactly what transpired in that camp because the media is not able to report on that issue. Well, I want to bring this to you, Jovial Rantau, in terms of you. I'm sure you got a bit of a context both from Sarah Kimani and also from Otsienunam Yawa from Human Rights Watch around the issues of, uh, uh, you know, these abuses that are taking place, especially to the lead up of these elections. Why is it important, especially in the environment of elections, for us to find ourselves in a space where the media can do its uh, work effectively and why are these abuses something that are not conducive to elections? Why do we centralize issues of elections around the media, Jovio? Well, I, th- I think it is important to point out a few things. One of the one of them is that, you know, um, elections all over Africa and indeed all over the world uh, do bring with them uh, lots of vibrancy, a lot of tensions and, mm. and in, in some instances a lot of chaos. You know, um, so there's heightened political activity, um, and there's there's heightened excitement all over. Um, so um, <clears throat> the other problem, though, um, that uh, we need to look at is that you know the the problems that we are seeing now in Kenya, you know, are not new problems. They are just mm. heightened and they are just on the increase because the elections are around the corner. Mm. You know, and K- K- Kenya has been a problem. Um, for, for for quite a while where media freedom is not what it's supposed to be. You know, um, <clears throat> what this points out uh, to answer the the African Editors Forum is, 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 is that, you know, government control of the media is not a good idea. You know, um, uh, because uh, when you have a government that is hostile to, to the media, a government that is intolerant of, of criticism from the media, a government then uses um, um, legislative and other means to try and, and stifle the media. You know, um, the African Editors Forum has been calling for the removal from statute books across the African continent of all laws that are inimical to media freedom. And the, this would include the Kenya Information and Communication Act, mm-hmm. the Media Council uh, of Kenya Act, um, we, which were all both passed in 2013. Both of whom um, um, give government, uh, the government of Kenya, control um, over, over the media. And 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 we have seen um, from what Sarah has been saying and what. Uh, uh, what Otieno was just saying now that there's ample evidence that the um, government is, is really abusing its, its position and mm-hmm. that these laws are not um, and, um, are denying Kenyan people of basic information which will make them better informed participants in their own democracy. Mm-hmm. You know. So let, let me bring in also Henry Maina, who's just joining us now from uh, Article 19 Eastern Africa, which they've been also responsible for this article alongside Human Rights Watch. The, the report also highlights the government's failure to fulfill its constitutional and international human rights obligations to protect uh, freedom of expression and media freedoms. Coming to you, Henry, uh, is this a systematic intention from the uh, Kenyatta government to really undermine the media? Is this something really entrenched in, in, in how govern, governance is done uh, since his uh, uh, period of uh, election, or is it something that is almost cultural even before uh, his uh, uh, turner? 
Henry, are you there? I think I've lost Henry there, and uh, he was going to give us his insights. Let me bring that question back to Otieno. Is this something that characterizes the uh, the Kenyatta government, this idea of uh, undermining media freedom, um, uh, Otieno, or is this something that is uh, more entrenched even before the governance of Uhuru Kenyatta? I think it is fair to say that uh, it characterizes the Kenyatta administration. Um, uh, uh, to twenty thirteen during the election period, uh, I think uh, one of the issues that featured very strongly during the election period was the, the ICC case. And uh, I, I think the way Kenyatta and, and his running mate William Ruto framed the ICC issue was uh, that it was, um, uh, it was being used to, to lock them out of the election, and that it was being used by their opponents to lock them out. They were being targeted as Africans, and so on and so forth. And therefore, uh, some of the, the institutions that seemed to give uh, ICC uh, a fair amount of limelight, like uh, the media uh, and the civil society groups that uh, openly supported the ICC process, uh, mainly because of uh, their, uh, their frustration with uh, the past failure to ensure that uh, political violence is, uh, is, is dealt with, um, were immediately um, uh, regarded by the Kenyatta uh, camp as, uh, as an enemy. So Kenyatta came into power already with uh, a very a very hostile attitude towards the media and civil society groups. Uh, and therefore, when they came, the 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 first thing they they started proposing was this immediate legislative um, amendments and clawing uh, back on some of the the previous gains that had been realised in mm. 2011 and 2012 under mm. Kibaki. Uh, and with that, we saw we saw an increase in the attacks on journalists and attacks on bloggers and threats and. And even uh, attempts to introduce even more stricter legislation. Some of them didn't exactly succeed, uh, but there have been attempts actually to introduce even uh, worse legislation that we already, we already have now. Mm. And, and, and jovial, in terms of uh, that, what does it say about um, just the style in which our elections are held? Because it seems as if the the media freedom is also something that. Uh, maybe governments understand play a role in terms of dissemination in disseminating information to ordinary citizens and i don't know if re- citizens are also aware of these abuses and how they respond uh, to the freedom of media jovial that's for you jovial can uh, is that for me or, uh, that's for you jovial that's for you jovial I think we also lost Jovial there. Let me see if we've got Henry Maina there. Henry, are you with us now? Yes, yes, I'm with you. Okay, finally we have you on the line. Henry, your thoughts in terms of the response of citizens, how do they interact with these news that there are abuses uh, from um, governments in terms of uh, uh, them actually stifling the type of work that they do? Do we have kind of a citizenship response to these problems? Yes, I think the citizens... um in, in Kenya have responded. Uh, sometimes when a journalist has been attacked by uh, showing that uh, that's not acceptable, 
But um, most of the other time, you would notice that citizens have been primed against journalists by the ongoing uh, vilification of journalists and the like. And, and therefore, they end up siding with the perpetrators of violation as opposed to um, supporting uh, media freedom as mm-hmm. it were. Mm-hmm. So that becomes a bit difficult uh, when you have leaders who profile journalists uh, as unpatriotic, as people who are being used to topple government and the like. And, and, and the result is that um, whenever there are such attacks, then citizens would not naturally uh, support um, journalists. They would be supporting the politicians. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to take a quick yeah. break because this trend is very worrying. I think I've heard the even the ruling party a spokesperson in South Africa of the ANC warning the media from actually having a certain perspective, leaking certain documents, saying that they are being used for a certain agenda. And it's very worrying to hear that rhetoric uh, coming from uh, uh, you know authorities within within government or within ruling parties. I'm going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll continue this conversation after this. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A worrying, worrying story that we're looking at today, looking at the media environment in in Kenya, a report uh, that has been titled, uh, uh, Not Worth the Risk, Threats to Free Expression Ahead of Kenya's 2007 Elections, highlights uh, that authorities in Kenya have committed a range of abuses against journalists in the lead-up of August elections in the country. As we've heard uh, from our guests, it seems like uh, this is something that is really entrenched, even within the current government in in Kenya and uh, I wanted to pose this question to you Jovi Orantau who is the chairperson of the African editors the fact that we've also heard the same mantra in, in South Africa just recently it's not the first time we've heard that I heard the spokesperson of the ruling party of the ANC highlighting the fact that hey, the media must be careful what kind of news it expresses and what kind of uh, news comes out and uh, that we are purporting a certain agenda for a third force or so and you always hear kind of these sentiments put out on the public domain which kind of uh, is I don't know authorities a way of creating uh, mistrust between uh, uh, citizens and the media Jovial are you there? 
Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you clearly now. Oh, oh sorry, we got cut off there. Sure. Now, I was just highlighting the, the, the fact that uh, these sentiments that were highlighted by Henry earlier on, the fact that, you know, there is that kind of mantra that comes from... Uh, uh, leaders and government officials and party officials like we heard from the ANC spokesperson just recently about the fact that the media shouldn't uh, uh, unleash certain uh, reports uh, because uh, they uh, have a certain agenda of a third force or so kind of creating that mistrust between media in the public domain and and the citizens Uh, that mantra is becoming very popular in African states I think we we mustn't forget that uh, what we are dealing with here is a contestation a contestation for votes, mm. you know. So what people do want to do is to make sure that um, only their voices are heard, only their views are heard, so that when people go to the polls, uh, they have that at the back of their mind. You know, this is why uh, you, you find that in, in, in governments across Africa, and I know we're generalizing here because there are some good uh, uh, governments sure. who, um, and countries where media freedom is flourishing. Yeah. But you have, you have issues where government uh, uh, want to, uh, to restrict that which people hear so that uh, when pe- people make up their mind, uh, um, they cannot do so freely. You know, the, 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 the big issue here, uh, in my mind, is mm-hmm. it's just government control. Um, um, because if you look at the situation in Kenya, for instance, you know, the, 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 the report that uh, you, you referred to earlier catalogs quite uh, horrifying uh, uh, details about journalists and bloggers uh, being, being, being threatened, being attacked physically, being harassed, uh, people being beaten up, you know. And um, what, what recourse these people have? They have got to go to the police. You know, mm-hmm. so so uh, you have uh, on the one hand the police are just not interested in these cases, mm-hmm. so the cases are not being investigated, and even if they did, it is going to be a case of government investigating government. You know, and and you know you you and I know where that that is going mm-hmm. to end. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the 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 big issue for me is to really uh, and and for for the African Editors Forum, is to to make sure that the we cleanse uh, our books of all laws that allow governments to act the way the, the government of Kenya is doing now mm. um, so that people can get uh, uh, independent information uh, so that they can make informed decisions about their lives. Mm-hmm. The, the, the people who are now uh, making their minds about who to vote for in the August elections in Kenya have the right to get information um, that will help them decide independently Mm. Um, um, about who to vote for and about how their lives are going to be run. Mm. Let me bring it back to you, Otiano, uh, Human Rights Watch researcher still on the line. We're struggling with Henry there. We have to let him go. Was, what's, the, what's the recourse now? Because this report also highlights that despite uh, formal complaints from journalists, police are, are really investigating the attacks or threats. There seems to be a lack of interests even from the police side. So how do you guys take things forward? What's your recourse as the media? Otsiano? Yes. Uh, Otsiano, can you hear me? Otsiano, are you there with me? Oh, fantastic. In terms of recourse, what kind of recourse are you having as, you, as, as I was trying to, to question is that you're struggling even with the police? Yeah, f- and just to, to, to clarify that is that, uh, of course, there, there are no investigations, but the most worrying thing is that uh, some of these attacks are actually by the police themselves. Mm. 
Um, in fact, I would say a fairly good percentage of those attacks were actually by the police themselves. And mm -hmm. uh, 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 those attacks have equally not been uh, well investigated. There are, there are at least two cases we know which have been taken over by the Independent Policing Oversight Authority, uh, which is a civilian policing uh, oversight institution, uh, which is now investigating and we hope they will be able to prosecute. Uh, however, we, we are um, talking to the relevant, the line ministry uh, and the police themselves, we have been talking, sometimes they are not very forthcoming. Mm. And we are trying to make the point that one, uh, it is their responsibility to ensure that these attacks uh, on journalists and bloggers are stopped because that is the only way uh, we can be able to ensure that uh, people are, are free to, to, to discuss issues relating to the election and that people will eventually have a feeling that the elections were indeed mm -hmm. free and fair. Uh, and secondly, uh, just to, for purposes of accountability, to ensure that even for those cases that have happened in the past, which look like they have been forgotten, like those that happened in 2013, 2014, 2016, need to be uh, adequately investigated and uh, to, to, for the victims to, to be seen, uh, to, to feel like they, they have received or they have, they, they have received justice from the test. That so far is not happening. Uh, I don't think the response we have received from the police is convincing. Uh, even though the ministry, uh, we did talk to them yesterday, they, we, they seemed to agree that indeed this doesn't, uh, shouldn't be happening. Uh, the problem is that even though the ministry and other government officials make those kind of statements, uh, it has been difficult to get uh, the, the, the authorities to go beyond uh, lip service. So they, they say one thing, but what in reality happens is, is entirely another. Mm -hmm. Let me wrap it up with you, Jovial, in terms of the way forward. Um, definitely a lot needs to be done to cement uh, media freedom on the African continent as you highlighted uh, very fairly that there are some countries that are doing well but more still needs to be done yeah, there's a lot that still needs to be done and I think the, uh, um, the, the, the only way forward in my view is for uh, African editors, African uh, journalists uh, to work with the organizations like the Community, uh, community to Protect Journalists like the uh, uh, um, the uh, uh, other NGOs across the continent, um, to highlight the the why media freedom is important, and to bring home the fact that media freedom is not only for media workers. Media freedom is a right for every citizen um, across the African continent, and to continue to campaign that uh, uh, governments across the the, the continent who. Uh, many of whom have uh, em 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 embraced, the, the, for instance, the Winduk Declaration and the Table Mountain Declaration, uh, both of whom call for a media that's, that is liberated from government, political, and economic control. That these are just not nice to have. You know that the, 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 there must be a, a, a clear program of implementation. And, and this program will, of course, include uh, removing uh, laws that are are not good for media freedom, and, 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 and to make sure that those people who are guilty of, of uh, violence or criminal acts um, um, against journalists, that those people are, are, are punished, and that the, the media workers and, and who uh, end up in hospital and, 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 
um, some of them in mocks so that uh, there's justice for them and their families. Mm, mm. Well, thank you so much for your patience, uh, both of you. I know we had uh, some uh, struggle with the lines today, but thank you to Jovel Rantau, who is the chairperson of the African Editors Forum. Thank you as well to Otsieno Namwaya, who is a Human Rights Watch researcher. Uh, we also struggle with Henry Maina there, who is the regional director of Article 90. We had to, to let him go because of those lines. But also at the beginning of our show, it's Sarah Kimani, SABC correspondent, giving us uh, the climate and the environment as campaigning starts in Kenya for elections.